WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This upcoming Thursday, officials will take to the streets to help better understand the size and the scope of the homeless population here in Mecklenburg County. It's called the point in time count, and it helps get an idea of how many people are living in a shelter or on the streets. It's a requirement to help give both the federal and local governments a better idea of how best to allocate resources. A bit later, we're going to break down the push here in Charlotte to get more folks off the street and into affordable housing. But first, joining us now, Mecklenburg County Commissioner Pat Cotham. Pat, welcome back to Flashpoint. Well, thank you very much and Happy New Year. And to you as well. Okay, coming up on January 26th, you're going to be one of the uh, dozens of people out there trying to get a, a good idea uh, of our homeless population in, in numbers. Set this up. Why is this count so critical? Well, um, there will, just to clarify, there will be around 160 people uh, in Mecklenburg County. Uh, it is, first of all, it's mandated. Uh, we have to do it for, um, and that can be done all over the United States. And I, I have done it every year, and it's very helpful uh, to to gain this information so uh, we can really identify and allocate resources uh, from the county and nonprofits in the city as well. Uh, I, I know you, and I've said this before on, on Flashpoint, um, I, I can't think of another elected official who's more involved in this issue um, than, than you. Uh, if, if folks follow you on social media, they'll, they'll, they'll see what you do uh, on a regular basis, not just this, this one point right. in time. Um, what do you personally gain out, out of being out there and working with these folks? Uh, well, it's, um, it's a deeper dive than when I go uptown at night and uh, bring, you know, I bring sandwiches and blankets and gloves and hats and, and hand warmers and things like that um, and rain ponchos. Um, but this, we go deeper and go deeper into the camps, especially. And that's the area that I usually like to go to, even though it's a little bit more difficult because um, sometimes we have to walk down a hill and, um, or on a railroad track, but you really see um, a lot more. And it and if if I'm going to serve the people, I really need to know more about their life. And uh, this really gives a great snapshot um, of what you know what what really is happening. I often ask people, you know, depending on who they are, you know, what happened in your life that you are here, um, and it's. Uh, it's um, it can be emotional. I remember a couple of years ago walking down a railroad track, and I saw a tent, and then I saw a wheelchair outside the tent, and that was pretty overwhelming. Or when you find a baby's shoes, you know that there had been a baby, you know, at a location like under 277. I've been on there several times, so it it, it just kind of I like to know the story behind the statistics and not, not just with homelessness, but with everything. Um, you know, we can look at numbers, but we have to remember the humanity. We have to remember that this is someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's grandpa um, that's in this situation and, and get to know them a little bit. So we, we, um, when we go out, we have an app that we use to uh, take information from the individual and they, they do receive information ahead of time that this this will be happening. So it, 
it's not usually a surprise. And then we are you know, able to ask them questions and then we can better uh, allocate resources. How did the pandemic impact that? Because they know it was sort of a perfect storm of, of differing factors uh, over the last few years. Um, how did COVID impact those numbers? You know, I don't know um, specifically, um, um, but it, and I would say it's still affecting people. You know, COVID is still affecting people um, because there were also, you know, more uh, evictions. I, I have noticed um, in the last um, six weeks when I have been out at night and uh, like uh, on Thanksgiving, uh, I was at the women's shelter. I usually go there and I saw more elderly, more elderly women. And I hadn't seen that. I mean, you, you, you'll see one one or two, but there were more. And when I found out it was more, they had been evicted and they didn't have any family to help them. So I, I'm curious if, if we're going to see more elderly people, but I can't say I, I, that I know, but I, it certainly affected it. I mean, in, in Ben, in recent years, we often had like 2,500, um, but I know our population has grown, but the idea that it's, you know, over 30, over 3,000. So it certainly, it certainly took a toll. Uh, for a lot of folks, the most visible sign they saw were the uh, camps that grew up alongside 277 and other interstates. Um, a lot of those people were put in housing of some sort. Um, where does it stand with, with those camps? Because I, I don't want to give people the false impression because those camps aren't as readily visible that the problem is no longer there. No, they, they are still there. And I would say there, um, there are more camps. And, you know, this is the first time uh, when we do this count that we're going to include the six towns. So, uh, and there are camps in the six towns as well. And sometimes they're smaller camps, sometimes, sometimes they're bigger, but it just, you know, you see all kinds of things. But the 10277 has been there um, as long as I've been a county commissioner since 2012. Um, so, and and it uh, and sometimes under under 277, uh, I remember there were some young people there, and they had just they had moved here from Ohio, and they had a job, and then they lost their job, and then they lost their place, and and then there were some older people there, and the younger people, it was like a family, and they were helping to take care of the older people. So it's it's it is really fascinating to see how this works and um, but the, you know this is uh, this is a problem nationwide and it certainly has been a you know a problem here and I've tried to be involved to better understand it. And as a person who has been involved for 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 years now and has seen the problem uh, through uh, tough economic times, uh, the pandemic, as we mentioned, um, what do you see as a in an admittedly complicated issue, what do you see as a long-term solution to this? Well, I, I don't believe there's one solution. I, I think this, these issues that are so complicated, um, we have to, we have to kind of circle it and hit it from many different angles. I mean, certainly uh, not enough housing for people who are under the 30% average medium income. So that includes you know, hourly workers, it includes senior citizens on a disability or uh, on Social Security. So it's lower income people. And we, we continue to have like 34, 
thousand people in that group. That is the biggest group. Yet, um, when we see affordable housing, uh, people talk about affordable housing. Uh, often, it it doesn't include that group, or it's a small percentage of it. And then the, it's more people who are making sixty percent or up to eighty percent. So then you're talking about people with jobs, um, you know, that are maybe they're school teachers or. Uh, new workers, you know, younger people that are early in their career, and um, and the eighty percent is is you know can go up to over I think it's over sixty thousand dollars with a family of four. So, you know, it, we have there's a lot of things we have to do. Certainly, um, emphasis on jobs. Um, certainly, emphasis on, uh, and it's not just then it's not just you know we have all these jobs available, but a lot of times people. They have skills, but they don't have the skills to understand how to get that job. And that I learned that before I became a county commissioner when I worked for a nonprofit. And uh, you know, you could have a guy that knows how to drive a forklift, and then you could have a job for a forklift driver, but he may not have any idea how to get that job. And those are the soft skills that he did not learn. Uh, on interviewing, and that's an area that I spent a lot of time in when I was at the nonprofit. But I was I was kind of baffled about it. Um, but that problem still exists today. Uh, for the folks at home watching, and maybe they live a, a, a wonderful life in a, in a nice home, nice cars. But what do you tell people to do um, when they see um, a? a uh, unhoused person, somebody who, who who might be on the streets, and they want to help, but they don't know what to do. What do you tell those people? I usually encourage people to try to um, see if there's a group at their house of worship, because often there is, or if they got a, a group together, um, or or to um, help the nonprofits like you know Block Love and other groups that we have that work in the, with the homeless community, the NAACP. They do work, um, you know, to support them, and uh, maybe if they're interested, to go along and and just observe. But I never encourage people to go out by themselves, or even with a, you know a couple of people if they've never done it before, um, because you know we have to think about safety, and um, so th that's what I usually tell. Them. But it is, but it is a concern. Pat, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it as always. All right, thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, we're looking at different ways to help get folks off the streets and out of shelters and into homes. And a big part of that is the cost and access to housing. Right now, the city of Charlotte projects it needs 32,000 additional housing units to meet current demand, meaning 55,000 folks can't afford to live here right now. And now city leaders are working to address the divide. Joining us now, Charlotte City Councilman Malcolm Graham. Councilman, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So listen, it seems like City Council, the mayor, they've talked about affordable housing for years now and how it really is the number one priority. Um, have you all been able to make um, what you consider to be sizable progress? I think we've made meaningful progress over the last couple of years, and I chaired the city's affordable housing committee for two years when I got back on council. The work that we did during COVID-19, uh, making sure that 
individuals in our community had the resources they needed to sustain them themselves throughout that period. Uh, the $50 million bond referendum that was just recently passed, the investments that we made in terms of affordable housing uh, units throughout the city of Charlotte, working with local partners and developers, we're making meaningful progress along the way to ensure that individuals have the opportunity to live in safe, clean, affordable housing. Uh, is the mountain really high? Absolutely. Um, but I think we're climbing that mountain as best we could with the support of the community and support of various community partners. Uh, you, you see some affordable housing, you know, projects popping up across the city, but it's not keeping up with demand. What do you think is the biggest inhibitor to, to, to more of these projects? Well, you know, it's land costs, right? And now in this uh, economy now, um, the cost of land, the, the supply chain has increased uh, the units per cost price significantly. Uh, and uh, just getting um, developers to uh, identify ways uh, in which they can include affordable housing in their development without any type of legislation from, from the state of North Carolina to assist along the way. And so I think those are the three major hurdles. Uh, one, land costs, two, supply chains and the, and, the, and the increase of supplies, and really don't have the legislative authority to convince or control developers to include affordable housing in their developer in their development. Um, last week, I think it was Zillow named Charlotte the hottest housing market in the country. Uh, when you hear that, you think, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool. We have the ho hottest housing market in the country," um, and that is cool if you're a developer or if you have the means. Or, but it also means that it, it's a downright painful market for folks who don't have the means to, to afford to live in this city. Affordability for the city of Charlotte is is, is really top of mind for everybody. Uh, obviously, having that um, status as one of the hottest real estate markets uh, in the country is significant. Uh, it demonstrates that we're really, really growing. 121 individuals every day move to the city of Charlotte, all looking for affordable housing, all looking for job opportunities and, and, and a quality of life that's second to none. And so, our job, the city, the county, community partners, the corporate community, is trying to create an environment that the city remains affordable. Uh, and so uh, that's the challenge that we have to face. We've done a lot of work in terms of um, from the whole con continuum from um, sheltered housing, those who are living on our streets need somewhere to stay in terms of shelters, and we've been working with that all the way to 80% uh, of AMI. And so it's a continuum of housing that we're trying to build for the community. Uh, and so. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough market to be in. Uh, you mentioned a second ago that your, your hands were tied. Um, are there ways that you all can incentivize creating um, some of these affordable housing units? Yeah, we've been doing that uh, significantly through our housing trust fund, right? We've been doing that for the last 20 years, trying to work uh, and incentivize working with developers to build more affordable housing. The housing trust fund recently turned 20 years old. The citizens um, approved $50 million of of additional bonds for affordable housing. Uh, the council just recently had our jobs and housing summit uh, a week ago at the Bullplex Arena where we brought in a number of community partners uh, and talked about the issues of housing and jobs, how they go, how they go hand in hand with one another. And so uh, we're, we're doing the work that is necessary to try to um, uh, solve the problem, knowing that it's, it's a tall mountain, Ben. It's, it's, uh, I'll be disingenuous if I said it was. And, and how long, I mean, I, re I realize this, this is never going to be a completely fixed um, problem as long as, as long as we live in a desirable city and people want to move here. 
but but what is sort of the the measurement you give yourself for getting a better handle on this situation in, in the years to come? Well, I mean, Charlotte is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And, and like I said earlier, 121 individuals every day are moving to the city of Charlotte. And so we will always be trying to play catch up. And that's why it's really important that we take a look at all our tools and our toolbox. That's what we did two weeks ago when we had the, the jobs and um, housing summit to uh, make sure that we know the tools that we have uh, to recognize where we need to go from here, to acknowledge the work that we've already done, but more importantly, to also acknowledge that there's more work to be done. And so work with our community partners along the way, we are dedicated to trying to keep our community affordable for those who want to live and stay here. All right, Councilman Malcolm Graham. Councilman, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. All right, thank you for the invitation. For the first time, I think, having somebody actually from Council Chambers uh, actually on the show like this, I think this was the first. All right, Councilman, thank you, appreciate it. Take care, bye-bye. Right. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A state lawmaker now asking questions in response to WCNC Charlotte's extensive reporting on the North Carolina Homeowner Assistance Fund delays. Since May, we've documented case after case where the state-run pandemic program has failed to quickly deliver mortgage help to desperate homeowners impacted by COVID-19. And 2023 is starting off with more of the same. That's why Nate Morbido continues to ask, where's the money? And now a state representative is joining the cause. We shared our findings with several state senators and representatives who served on relevant committees before the General Assembly returned to Raleigh last week. A state representative took what we found and questioned the head of the agency responsible for this program. Another year. You love the house that you're in. You want to keep it. Another place. You it, lose sleep over it some nights. Yeah, it's very stressful. Another family trying to keep faith. I can see why people do end up homeless. Pastor Jack Lester says COVID-19 sickened him in 2020. Three months total hospital time. Leaving him unable to preach and work his security detail. Sandra Carpenter says the pandemic also limited her security job. Then the bills started piling up. It really humbles you because, you know, if you have to get in line to, to get boxes of food or call these organizations to try to help them, ask them to help you. Carpenter says she applied for mortgage help through the NC Homeowner Assistance Fund last May, yet continues to wait for her first payment, all as the past due amount she owes on her Kings Mountain home mortgage has grown to almost $8,000. I just really want to have faith um, that they're going to come through. They're working on the problem. Representative Nassif Majid says after hearing from us, he questioned the North Carolina Housing Finance Agency's executive director. I did have a good conversation with Mr. Farmer, who has that program. The lawmaker knows the need overwhelmed the program, but assured us, based on his conversation, the agency is making the necessary changes, including releasing partial payments in some cases. They've made adjustments now. The latest data show the program has reached a milestone, finally at the point where most households that applied have received their money. Still, as the number of pending applications continues to decrease, foreclosure notices are starting to arrive and thousands of households are still waiting for their payments. And they just told me to be patient with the process. People like Sandra Carpenter and Jack Lester, 
We've since shared their information with the state in hopes a little push will move things along. But even in the midst of their own troubles, their faith has them thinking of those even less fortunate. My heart really does go out to other people because I know they're struggling a lot more than we are. They've actually probably lost homes. The state tells us its contractor is focusing on the oldest applications, hiring an extra 13 case managers to focus on the part of the process that's remained the slowest, verifying people's debt with loan servicing companies. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Folks, come interact with us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If there's something you want to see on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.